0: Our guest today is Monica Lent. She's a software engineer and maker. She started coding before the age of 10 and haven't stopped since then. After working for more than 10 years in the tech industry as an engineer, tech lead and manager, she decided to quit her job and bootstrap a SaaS company full-time. Today, she's building her own product, Affiliate, a unified affiliate dashboard analytics, In last year, she launched Blogging for Devs, a newsletter and community that helps developers create and grow their developer blogs without an existing audience. She teaches them about blogging and SEO. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Monica. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming.
0: So my first question is, let's say that someone is just starting today. They don't have any audience. They even don't have the blog yet but they want to start and learn how to grow an audience, how to get more credibility online. Let's say that that was you. Where would you start?
2: What I would say is that when somebody is kind of getting started and they want to establish themselves as kind of like an expert in whatever industry they're in or in whatever kind of corner of tech that they, you know, want want to focus on and want to become recognized in, probably the most important thing is to kind of figure out what is what is the medium that works for you? So for example, some people are really comfortable with public speaking and presenting, and maybe that's a more natural place for them to establish themselves. So applying to speak at conferences is a really great way to get in front of people. And this helped me a lot when I, when I got started. I applied for some conferences because I was trying to build a team. And I wanted to kind of like do a little bit of employer branding on behalf of our company because people didn't really know who we were and that made recruiting hard. So I just kind of took it upon myself to like start talking about the company, start talking about the stuff we were up to. And the funny thing is, is that speaking at conferences, you don't need to be like the world's biggest expert to do it. So I think a lot of times people think that uh, if you're speaking at a conference, you necessarily have to be like a world-renowned expert in some some area of tech, but you really don't. Uh, a lot of conferences are really just about either being entertaining, so maybe you're a good speaker and you can hold people's attention, or you know how to write a good pitch. You so you you pitch your talk a lot of these are even done, you know, on a merit basis. But again, once you get into it, a lot of people are just invited. So after you've done a couple, you don't really have to apply very much anymore. If you do well, people will come to you. So I think conference speaking is a really like low barrier way kind of to get started. You can also do meetups. So you can start to establish yourself kind of in the local scene, obviously. Right now is not like the meetup high season, let's say. But in normal times, uh, getting started at meetups is also a great place to get discovered for conferences because many conferences host local meetups too. Um, So that's kind of like an angle I would consider if maybe you're more of like a natural talker than a writer. And a lot of times you can then repurpose that content into a blog post, right? So you can kind of go a little bit further, reach people in other ways. um, And of course, writing online and blogging is a great way too, to kind of get started and establish an audience as well. Uh, and you can start, of course, by distributing your content on Twitter. But if, if you don't have much of an audience there, it's a little bit difficult, especially when it comes to sharing kind of external links. Um, and then there are a lot of other places that you can, you can post your stuff where you kind of go to the people, whether that's somewhere like Hacker News um, or somewhere like Dev Community, Um, these are also, also options, but I generally recommend people kind of find a way to get started on their own, on their own website, uh, and bring people there. Um, and finally, another way to do that, which I talk about in blogging for devs is of course by SEO. Uh, so you don't need to have an existing audience. Um, you can create the content. And if you're writing the kind of stuff that people are searching for, uh, and you know how to create things that, you know, people will want to come back to your website. Um, And you provide some kind of unique value, whether that's through the depth or the quality or how interesting it is, you know, you can, you can also capture people into your audience that way. It's good that you
0: mentioned SEO, because I'm super curious to know, how did you get so interested in SEO? I mean, I don't know lots of devs that know that much.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a surprisingly let's say rare skill for the fact that there are so many web developers. So many of us have built websites. Um, but what I learned from creating this email course, uh, about SEO and blogging is that so many people don't even know the absolute basics. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because SEO kind of tends to get lumped into marketing. It's a job that marketers focus a lot on. Um, but in reality, so much of having SEO success also comes down to getting the technical aspects right, because ultimately you want that Google can, and other search engines, of course, and there are there are different kinds of search engines, you want that they can actually effectively understand what your website is about. They've yet to adopt mind reading, so in fact, it does matter uh, what kind of content you're putting on your page so that people can find it. And the way I got into it was uh, I started a travel blog now five years ago, which is kind of wild. And what happened was I kind of just started by blogging about my experience. I moved to Europe from the United States. I I started out writing all of the things that were weird to me about living in Europe, you know, like all the things I was discovering, like new foods, strange traditions, um, all kinds of stuff that, that, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to document. Um, but over time I started to write stuff that was a little more practical, um, kind of like travel guides and so on. And at one point I kind of looked at my analytics after I had taken a, you know, a year quote unquote off of blogging where I published only like 17 articles. (laughs) So it wasn't really a year off, but it kind of, you know, it was a slower year. Um, and actually the blog was still getting over 30,000 visits a month. And I was like, what? Like it kind of surprised me that, uh, so many people were finding my blog and I asked myself, is 30,000 a lot? Like I have no idea. Um, and so I kind of, what like kind of changed the game for me was I joined a bunch of blogging Facebook groups. Um, and this was kind of like my, my like entryway into, uh, you know, meeting people, seeing that, okay, people are doing this, they're making money from this. I was, um, I was listening to some stuff by Pat Flynn, uh, who you may know from Smart Passive Income. So yeah, around this time, I, I started to become more interested in my blog and seeing what was possible. Um, and I realized that if I learned SEO, I could just kind of systematically continue to grow it Um, And especially when I started to make money from the blog, I was like, okay, so if I just do what I've been doing, but five more times, then, you know, this is an incredible amount of money that I could just have on the side. Um, And yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of surprising to me and to everyone around me. Uh, And I told some of my coworkers in tech and they were like, why it's like here, you know, I'm working in my software development job and like, you have a blog that's making like a few grand a month, like what am I doing with my life? Uh, you know, it kind of depends, like what are your goals, but uh, it's, it's really surprising. I think a lot of people in tech don't realize that, and people in general don't realize that, yeah, you can build profitable websites about specific content and you don't necessarily have to be famous on Twitter in order to do that successfully. So there are many, many, many roads to blogging for money if that's what you want to do. Uh, and SEO is a super systematic way to grow that.
1: You mentioned Pat Flynn, and I guess on your latest blog post, you also mentioned uh, Peter Levels in the Hackers, and you said something interesting where that was, uh, I don't have to spend time working my ass off to make someone else rich. And what else made you decide that you wanted to become an entrepreneur before turning uh, thirty years old? Uh, was that just because it started making money? off of the blog or what else was your inspiration?
2: So I think the main thing is that, I don't know if it's because I'm like an older child, I'm just really stubborn, but I, I kind of just got to this point where I thought, okay, I don't really want to have a boss. Like I want to work for myself. I'm always, I've always been someone who puts in more hours than is on the job description. I'm like, okay, if I like to go all in on something and really dedicate myself to it because I really care deeply about what I'm making, well, it might as well be my own thing um, because otherwise I'm just going to basically get paid the same amount of money no matter what, like no matter what company I'm working at. The second part of this statement was that I can you know, work my ass off for myself, question my life choices uh, because it's so much harder than I thought it would be. Um, doing, yeah, doing different kinds of businesses besides just content. Um, But yeah, I think at the end of the day, for me, it was like, okay, if I'm going to go all in, I might as well go all in on something that I, you know, am personally committed to and really matters to me. Um, And yeah, my my 30-year-old deadline got dangerously close. And so I had to quit. (laughs) So here I am. (laughs)
1: You mentioned on your blog that when you quit your job, when you decided to quit, Affiliate reached $2,000 in MRR, and you also had your travel blog that was making about 5k a month, so about like 7k. Did you also have some money saved? Did you prepare before quitting your job and if you did, how many months or years of savings did you have?
2: Yeah. So just quick to like clarify, so I didn't reach 2K and MRR for filmmate It was uh, 2K revenue. So we had a bunch of people sign up on that month before the pandemic destroyed our business. But uh, yeah, I, I'm fortunate that I did get to save up um, before taking this leap. Um, and a big part of that is because I had to apply for a permanent residency visa in Germany, and this took me a really long time. So it kind of like doubled my savings in the meantime. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how many months I had, but I managed to save about, about 45,000 euros, uh, before going, um, yeah, going full-time building my own stuff. But of course, uh, fortunately I didn't have to dip into that, uh, for a while because, I had these other income sources. Uh, however, once the pandemic hit, um, then of course I had to start start using it, which was a little bit stressful. I also got kind of like a little bit lucky in that I decided to invest a good chunk of it in March of last year when the stock market was really bad. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I guess I kind of had the faith that like somehow I'm going to make this work. So in, at the end of it, this all kind of worked out. But I wouldn't say that I was someone who had multiple years worth of savings. I, I'm i not sure exactly exactly how long it was. Like It was certainly over a year, um, but I wasn't actually anticipating having to use it.
1: Did you have some intuition? Because you were saving money, you were making some money, so you were kind of in a, in a good spot. But why did you decide to do that at that specific month or something? Did you decided to quit because you were ready or did you decide to quit because you have this intuition that you would work out in the end or something else? So what made you do that?
2: So, as I said, part of it was the fact that my 30th birthday was kind of looming in the horizon. Um, but I, I managed to quit, uh, a little bit before I turned 29. Um, but a big part of like you know what made me really take the leap was it's kind of strange to say but I went on a safari in South Africa for three days, and I didn't have any like connection to the real world. Like there was internet, kind of you know you just spend all of your time like in nature, like being educated around uh, wildlife, and you just feel so like disconnected from the news, from social media, from all of that stuff, and. It just really reinforced to me during those couple of days, like I want to have you know control over my time. I don't want to have to be somewhere because someone else wants me to be somewhere. You know, I I just want to be able to make my own decisions. And if I don't want to be on a computer, I don't have to be on a computer. Um, now, of course, the ironic part of that is that you know when you're running a business and you have customers, like people need stuff. Um, <laughs> And so, eventually, hopefully, I can hire some like support people or something. But um, at the same time, like that was kind of a, a moment that made me think, okay, we did this in December. Um, I was like, okay, next year it's gonna be the year. And I came back to Germany and started my permanent uh, my permanent residency application, and that took me like six months or so uh, to get through that from start to finish. Uh, but once I had it. It was ASAP. I was ready, Um, but it it was also because I worked in a fintech company, like growing from like eighty people to over fifteen hundred people uh, for almost five years, and it was time for a change. And I just, I was like, okay, I'm ready to make that change. But I also don't want to work for another tech company. I'd kind of seen everything. I felt like I needed to see going going from that size uh, to what was. What was next over the, over the course of those five years, going through acquisitions, reorgs, you know, changing the teams, hiring a ton of people. And honestly, I was just exhausted. I'm sure you guys know, working on your own stuff next to a full-time job, especially one that is very demanding of you if you're in a leadership position or you're just really dedicated, um, it's really emotionally taxing to do for a long time. So it was kind of a culmination of all of that stuff.
1: And it's also very, it kind of drains your creativity, right? If you work full time, but you also want to work on other stuff, it just drains you of your creativity. You're always in this state where, oh, I'm working here, but I really want to do this other thing. I have this, all of these side business and side projects, but you just can't create, right? Right.
2: Yeah, totally. I think a lot of people asked me, uh, especially when the pandemic happened and this affected pretty much all of my income sources, people asked me like, well, why didn't you just stay at the company until, you know, you were sure that you had enough income? Um, And I'm like, if you haven't done this, you don't realize how exhausting it is. Uh, Because let's say you're working full-time on the weekends and you're working full-time during the week, And then, you know, how, how many weeks can you go without taking a weekend Um, and like taking any kind of a break? Like it's, it's so truly exhausting, like both physically and emotionally. So yeah, people who have the patience to do it for, you know, three years until they reach like, you know, the same salary as their tech salary, like, you know, respect to that. Uh, But for me, I was like, okay, I'd rather kind of like push myself out of the nest and figure out how to fly on the way down and hopefully i will not crash in the meantime so that that's kind of been been my approach and so far things are going kind of okay so yeah
0: the way you're talking right now it seems to me that you are always pretty confident
2: for me at least i just i don't know this is really helpful but i just have kind of like the the confidence or the feeling that i will be able to make things work And worst case scenario for all of us is if it doesn't work out, we can get tech jobs. They are like, it's the most luxurious fallback situation for pretty much anybody. So that kind of gives me the assurance that, okay, I have savings. I have a support system of friends. And if all else fails, then oh no, I'll have to go get a very fancy tech job where they shower me with the kind of money that I haven't seen in my bank account in over a year. So (laughs) I just think, okay, like worst case scenario, even if I fail, like I can go back to like making a bunch of money and that's wonderful. Um, But I do of course have doubts. Sometimes I wonder, okay, is it going to be a problem for my long-term savings that you know, if I was working at a tech company, of course, I would be making the most money that I've ever made in my career right now. Um, that's, that's something that I do think about and wonder. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, money is one thing. But on the other hand, like, you can never get back your time. Um, so I'm more interested in finding a way that I can kind of prioritize the way I want to spend my time. Um, and right now I think it's just the most fun to like build my own stuff, even though it's exhausting. Sometimes I don't want to do it. Sometimes I want to give up. Um, but at the end of the day, I also can't imagine working for anyone else ever again. So I would consider myself somewhat unemployable (laughs) in that respect. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if this necessarily answers your question, but there are definitely doubts. Um, And times when it gets hard, um, and times when I just take a break and I retreat to playing video games for a day or two and ignoring my inbox and and all that kind of stuff. Um, But ultimately, it's also like a huge privilege that I have the safety net that I do, I have the support system that I do, and I can, I have what it takes to at least try. Uh, and a lot of people are maybe not in that position because they have, maybe they have to support their parents or maybe they have um, kids to support that need more stability. Uh, so yeah, I I feel like fortunate that I can give it an attempt, even if I'm not a hundred percent sure it's going to work out. If I have to fall back on getting, getting a job in tech again, I will survive somehow.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think you, you answered pretty, pretty well. I think that part of what makes you keep like more yeah more safe in doing the business decisions is that I have this impression that you keep your expenses low I might be wrong but do you think that helps a lot with planning for you know what I'm gonna take a few years and I don't have to worry about this
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, so I live with my partner in Berlin and, uh, we're definitely able to keep the expenses relatively low in the sense that like, we don't eat out very much. We cook a lot. Uh, of course the last year we have been not able to leave the house that much, (laughs) which also helps keep expenses low. Um, but I'm also like in a pretty good position where like, if I were to need, like a bunch of money for some reason. Like I also have access. Like I could ask my partner for it. I could ask my my parents if something dramatic were to happen. So I think it's not just that. Yeah, I I don't spend a ton of money on stuff. I actually have quite a lot of business expenses. Um, and I wrote up an income report from from January about this, uh, where you see that. Like I had almost $2,000 worth of business expenses in January, which I think is pretty surprising to a lot of people, um, cause you don't realize how expensive running a business can be. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, if something were to happen, I do have that kind of like safety net. So I think it's a combination of you know trying not to spend too much money, but also, uh, I don't know what position I would be in if I didn't have like the people around me that I, that I could turn to if something were to ever happen.
1: I had a business before when you say, oh, I'm a founder now and I'm pretty much unemployable. (laughs) Probably. I really understand that because after you have that freedom, uh, that creative freedom for a while, it's really hard to go back to a job, you know? And you can work for people, you can have fun, you can build some interesting stuff, but that thing is always in your head. So yeah, I could just be building something and having freedom. And I'm I'm pretty sure that now that we have the creator economy and you have so many opportunities to do different stuff and make money online, I think that in the future, uh, very creative people, they would just be creators or entrepreneurs, or they, they will have the freedom to work on their things because it's really hard to convince creative people to work for you nine to five every day. You know, everybody's working remotely anyway, right now. I know that designers right now, it's really hard to hire them because they can just make money. They don't have to work for you anymore. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, at the same time, I think like I totally agree with you, um, and I think there have been people, you know, making money from their passions for for a while. At least, you know, when I started, um, and I started listening to uh, Pat Flynn's podcast and reading his blog. You know, there were people doing this for years before it became like popular among VCs, let's say. Um, but at the same time, I've also met people where it seems like they're pretty happy, um, working their jobs and they like the stability. Um, and I can also understand that because, um, it's nice to like know every month I'm going to make X amount of dollars. Like some, for some people that is like super comforting. Um, and I also interviewed a lot of people at the last startup that I worked at, uh, which was really, you know, it had many series of funding. It was very established. Um, and I had a lot of people that I, that I interviewed who had worked at early stage startups and said, you know, I'm just, I'm just tired of the volatility, tired of not being sure if my paycheck's going to come on time. You know, I'm, uh, tired of companies I work at getting shut down. Uh, and so like, of course it's maybe more frustrating if it's not your own thing. Uh, and you thought, oh, I'm going to get on the ground floor and, um, these stock options are going to be totally worth money one day when mostly they probably won't. Um, but ultimately like, I think like at risk of sounding a bit pretentious, like entrepreneurship is probably not for everybody. Um, some people maybe don't have that, uh, drive or motivation to do it, or they just have different goals in life and maybe stability better supports those goals. So yeah, I think it's really cool that more people are going to be like independent and there are like way better tools for running your own software business these days. I think more developers are definitely going to be doing it. Um, because if you're creative and I think most developers are more creative than they give themselves credit for, Uh, Kind of like what you were saying, like developers are super creative. Um, And if you are that way and you have that kind of like creative streak where you want to like solve problems and you identify them and and you want to build something that people are going to use and love, then, you know, you, why not get closer to the user and build your own products? Like it's way harder than working at a job, but at the same time, I, I totally agree that it's going to be more popular, especially as more developers kind of like show the way that, you know, you, you don't have to work at a, at a tech job and you can still use your skills, uh, to help people.
1: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So after you started having a rough time during the pandemic, you mentioned on your blog post, one article from Amy Hoy about side project marketing changed your life. Uh, It's about creating these uh, mini products that are valuable. And that also generate leads for your main business and that led you to start a different project from scratch which is blogging for devs and you also already had kind of the distribution part figure out so you were going to target developers you know developers you're you're famous in the community and you had followers already and the the interesting thing about Amy, how we are super fans of her here. Stephanie is doing the 30 by 500 course uh, right now, and she always recommends you to target an audience you understand and you belong to. So do you think that helped you with blogging for devs? Do you think that by knowing, by targeting this specific audience that you understand is easier, is the best way to, to get started?
2: Yes. And. I think sometimes you may also think you're part of an audience, but you're really not. Um, So this is kind of like the tricky part, I think. So for me, at least, yeah, targeting developers made a lot of sense because. Not just because I am a developer, but because I've interacted with developers for so many years. I've interviewed like hundreds of developers. I just have had so much exposure to it. And also doing tech conference speaking, being kind of among that group, I, you know, start to see the patterns, right? What are the things people are always saying? Uh, it's kind of like what you see on Twitter when people make these really like basic jokes, like basic relatable dev jokes, and then they get like 2000 likes and you're like, hmm, that's not a really intelligent statement, but I guess I relate to it. And so that's like what, you know, a lot of these kind of like platitudes become really popular and they're relatable and you're like, okay, I get it. Um So I think for me, it wasn't necessarily that I was part of this, like I, I am, but at the same time, I also had been in leadership as like a hiring, as a, as a manager, doing hiring and so on for long enough that like I didn't know the latest versions of the different packages that were being used. I wasn't really reading tutorials very much. Uh, so at the same time, I don't think I was 100% part of my own target audience, but maybe at some point I was, or I've at least interacted with those people enough that I understand really well what their struggles are. But on the flip side, like when I was building a filamate, I thought that I'm part of this community, right? Travel bloggers, you know, I'm in the Facebook groups. I listen to what they're saying all the time, but I don't think like them because I'm a developer. So even though I'm in all of those communities and I'm doing the same thing, I'm not using WordPress. I'm not afraid of plugins. Like I had to do so much more like research than I expected in order to try to learn how to see things from their perspective and that kind of surprised me and it was harder than I expected uh, in some ways so I don't know I think it can be it can be hard to know how well do I really know this audience and you might think you know them but you really don't uh, at least that's what happened for me but I do think it's really helpful and yeah I I'm also a big fan of Amy. Um, and her, yeah, her article about side project marketing definitely like changed my perspective and, and gave me, I don't know maybe if it was the justification or the excuse or the support or whatever it was that I needed to try something new after feeling like really in a rut, um, with, with my main product. So yeah, grateful for that for sure. And also goes to show that if you publish something online, you might just change someone's life. So you know, don't be afraid to put your stuff out there because you never know what kind of impact it's going to have.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting that you you share that because that was the first part of the 30 by 500 where I got stuck. Like, just to share a bit, I joined and I was like, oh, yeah, I already have this um, newsletter about plant-based diets. I would definitely go with it. And at the same time, I also was thinking of building a Shopify app for merchants because, oh yeah, it's a growing market. There's lots of possibilities. And <laughs> I got stuck there because on 30 by 500 they say specifically to not go with audiences that you don't have that much of inside advantage. And it's funny because I couldn't see that at the time. I've never sold anything to any Shopify merchant. I don't know any Shopify merchant. And the fact that the market is growing there doesn't mean I will be successful because I still have all of that inside knowledge to conquer and for the plant-based diet, what Alex said to me was, unless you already have subscribers to your newsletter, I wouldn't recommend go with that because it's it's super hard to target plant-based diet uh, curious people. Like, who are they?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's helpful to kind of get more niche in that sense. So like, for example, maybe for plant-based diet, you know, there are a lot of communities for people who are like vegan bodybuilders or like whatever it is, right? So you can get more specific. Um, And like, for example, in our case with Affiliate, uh, it is is also a case of something that's too broad because there are, um, I mean, there are all kinds of people that make money through affiliate marketing. There are creators, there are like more traditional bloggers. This is really the group that I began with, Then there's also like internet marketers, uh, people who do uh, pay-per-click ads. There's like a huge, huge landscape. Um, And I really didn't know enough about the industry before getting into it. Um, And that also made it hard from like a networking perspective to really get connected with the right kind of people. Um, But at the same time, I think there's also a danger when you're part of the audience that maybe you feel like you can skip the validation or kind of like cut corners on the customer development. Um, and yeah, so that's why, for example, with blogging for devs, um, I did try to like validate it upfront before building anything serious. Right. So the seven day email course, um, I had test users for this who gave me feedback on it, but I made it an email so I wouldn't have to put in too much effort upfront, uh, just in case no one cared. Um, so. Like no matter how much we can like love our own thing and be super into it and think, oh, of course, I'm sure other developers, for example, will love this. Um, it can be really can be really hard to predict exactly how your messaging and your copy um, and like the way that you position what you're doing affects uh, whether it resonates with people or not. Um, so that's like, yeah, that's an ongoing that's an ongoing challenge and. Uh, Maybe something like a Shopify app makes more sense as, like, not a first product, but something where you really, like, you kind of got your process down. Um, but I think it's interesting. Like, it's a interesting opportunity to kind of strap yourself to, to the Shopify rocket uh, and see where it takes you because you do benefit from the ecosystem.
0: So you said that you started with the email course to test, oh, okay, is this something that people really care about before putting lots of time in, in this. And when did you start realizing that a community would be what people wanted?
2: So relatively early after I launched the emo course, there were people asking me, um, will there be like a Slack or a Discord for everyone who's doing it? And I was like, no way. Like, no way am I going to like... Open this like circus of like 1200 people, and that I'm like somehow responsible for, um, like moderating this. Like, it sounds like absolute chaos. So, I was like, that's a cool idea, but like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Um, so, but there were, there were kind of like signals that people might be interested in something like that. So, some direct questions, but there were also, you know, people asking me questions over email quite a bit. And kind of like the bummer was that all of the answers that I was putting in a lot of work to, to provide, uh, they only benefit one person because it's a direct channel. So it's super cool because the format of email creates a very intimate connection with someone. So you're in their inbox, they can reply to you privately with, in a very low friction way. And I think this is, um, it's a very underrated. I mean, some days you can say newsletters are overrated, but I, think, but I think if you have one that's working where people care about what you're writing and you're like talking to subscribers regularly is an excellent way. And you do so much like research as you are getting those emails. Um, but like to kind of like maybe come back to the spirit of your question. Um, I actually didn't plan to have a community at the beginning, even after all of that kind of input. Um, I probably, if I would have started anything, I would have made some kind of a course because I thought that's what people do. Um, but then I kind of looked back on my own experience and I realized, you know, I'm a pretty self-directed person. I learned a lot from the communities about blogging that I joined and I was like, okay, maybe other people also want to kind of learn in a self-paced way, learn from their peers. And so that's kind of how the community was born. And then now i kind of like circling back to the beginning where I realized that some people are so early in their journey that they need the structure of a course. Um, and so that's why I'm trying to kind of like structure things inside the community so that there is kind of a systematic way to go through the resources and kind of like a step-by-step fashion. Um, for example, using the the blueprint um, that Stephanie, I think you you were checking out recently. So yeah, it's kind of like a constant learning journey. I wouldn't say that I have like a perfect idea, but doing what I can to, uh, you know, help people individually as much as possible and support them, but also uh, be able to connect them with other people who are like way more expert at whatever area they are doing uh, than me. And so whether that's uh, writing things for Hacker News, for example, being able to to bring Michael in um, to give give his... Um, like course presentations. You know, you guys talked to him in in one of your recent episodes Um, or being able to connect people who are better at YouTube. I don't know anything about YouTube, but luckily there's a bunch of people in the community who are interested uh, and working on YouTube actively. So that's really awesome. Um, And I think that's like the big benefit over a course where you get like mostly one person's perspective, um, that with a community, you get a lot of different perspectives and a lot of input and you can evaluate it on your own terms.
1: I think the coolest thing about blogging for devs, when I first saw that, um, was that it was so obvious to me that I had that pain that you were describing because I always had a technical blog and I could never figure out a way to make it famous or build the audience and it was always a struggle and even with the podcast, we were always kind of struggling to know what to focus on, how to grow the audience and all of that. And then you came with the speech where you were like, okay, I'm going to give you kind of the step-by-step recipe on how to create blog posts that uh, attract, attract people. And then talks about SEO and all of that. So it was very obvious that I had that pain, but I'm curious to know, because you said, oh, I, I was always interviewing developers. I knew about their struggles and their pains and all of that. Did you know that developers had that specific pain beforehand? like, Or how how did you come up with, with that?
2: Do you mean uh, that like struggling to get readers uh, for your blog?
1: Writing blog posts, but never uh, getting an audience and also just struggling like with, uh, topics to write about. because you they're never sure. Oh, what, what should I write about? You know, it's, it's hard.
2: Yeah. So actually this is definitely something that I had a hypothesis about. So I wasn't confident that most developers would be interested in building an audience. Uh, and a lot of people who replied to my welcome email did say, um, I'm interested in getting better at writing, getting better at communicating. Um, But And then a lot of people did say, I would like to grow an audience. I would like to eventually uh, be able to sell a product. But that number of people was smaller, um, much smaller than people who just said that they wanted to write for fun, more or less. Um, But my take is that you'll keep writing and have more fun if people read your stuff and you get to like discuss it with people. Um, that's where motivation comes from is seeing more and more people reading your things and being able to, uh, you know, being able to help people like having people write, like thank you notes, follow up questions. It's so encouraging, uh, to know that it's not just kind of going into the void. Um, but I was surprised to see how many, how many developers are interested in growing an audience. Cause I think there are, you know, there are just a few like relatively small number of people who are super famous and like whatever, you know, niche of tech they're in, but the reality is it's still pretty small. Um, and in my opinion, that means there's also a lot of room, uh, for people who put in the work and do it in a systematic way to get there. So, Yeah. It was interesting to see how many people are interested in doing that. Um, I would say that's probably more than I expected because you think of developers, you think more like, you know, I want to hide behind my keyboard and do my code and like whatever. Um, but in reality, a lot of people, they want to get recognized, you know, they want people to know that their ideas are unique and original. They want that external validation. Um, and I think that's kind of like a little bit of human nature, and developers are humans after all, um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I knew for sure that exactly the wording and the positioning was going to resonate with people, but I did kind of frame it as like, you don't have to be famous on Twitter to grow your blog. Um, and I think that was really the big misconception, um, is that being good at writing, being interesting, uh, having a blog that people visit correlated to Twitter followers, um, and kind of like my goal in a lot of ways is to show that that's not true. You can have Twitter followers if you want them, uh, but they don't correlate to readers on your blog, uh, success in your career or whatever it is. But they can be can be useful, and there are ways to kind of like grow that audience uh, as well. So Monica, now
0: that you have those projects. And you're working full time on your own project, what is the best part of your day? Like what is the most the most exciting part of your I'm my own boss moment?
2: <laughs> wow, this is an incredible question. I I guess like the the okay, so here I'll tell you a little bit of a story. It was kind of funny. So when um you know Christmas break happened not too long ago and A lot of my friends have, they have remote dev jobs. So they had to go back to their remote dev jobs on, you know, pretty much the same day in January. And they told me, you know, we're just thinking about you, Monica, and you don't have to go back to your job. And I was like, you know, joke's on you because I haven't stopped working. (laughs) So this is like kind of like the funny thing is that, um, you know, you think, okay, you have like a whole lot of freedom, you have a lot of flexibility, but at the same time, you also don't get to take the same breaks as everyone else. But on the flip side, uh, what I really love is that I can wake up in the morning and I can decide exactly what I want to work on. So even if, um, if I'm not motivated to work on something, I just won't. Like, I'm not one of those people in, in most cases that just like drives myself to do whatever menial task I have to do. Like I'll procrastinate it like a normal human and work on what I like. And that's something that I really enjoy. And if I wake up and I just say, you know what? I just don't want to work today. I don't have to tell anybody. So I can just like plan my day as I want. If I want to play video games, I can do that. That is like a good reminder sometimes that even when I'm working like way too many hours on a regular basis and I don't have that many breaks at this phase, uh, in my journey, I can always, and I have the freedom to take the time that I need for myself without getting anybody's permission. Um, and even if I work somewhere that was pretty flexible about this, just not having someone else having control over that is something that I love. So I would, I would say that that's probably the thing that I enjoy most on a regular basis.
1: And you can kind of design your life as well, right? We, we had, um, uh, we had a couple of people on the podcast talking about how they are designing their business to fund their lifestyle, which is amazing to me. Like it just makes so much sense.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the concept of lifestyle business, I guess, even though some people don't like that term. Um, that you can make a business that lets you live the life that you want, and I think that's that's amazing because you are, you know, your job doesn't have to define your whole life. Uh, and I like that I don't identify myself necessarily as person at a job. You know, I'm creating things, but it's it's so that I can live the kind of life that I want to live. And yeah, that's. That's the best benefit, even if you're going to be working way more than full-time on your own stuff, at least it's your choice.
1: Yeah, for sure. So you you wrote on your blog, building a self-funded business is hard, lonely, and expensive. There's still nothing else I'd rather be doing right now. So what is your advice for anyone thinking of leaving their jobs and starting their own business in 2021?
2: Wow. Big question. Um, I mean, I think the, like the biggest advice and thing that I, I kind of messed up early on, uh, was figuring out my distribution plan, uh, which is also something I talk about in that article. I thought that SEO was going to be my distribution plan, like, because it worked for me for something else. But what I didn't realize was that every product might have different distribution plans. Um, different distribution channels, um, and some may work better than others. So in that case, SEO was way more competitive than the spaces that I was operating in normally. So that meant that I was fighting really hard for a small amount of traffic. Um, And that's exhausting to do, uh, especially when you're doing it by blogging and you are you know, writing 2000 words takes maybe several days. Uh, It's not the most efficient thing you can do, especially next to product development, interviews with customers, doing support, doing research. Like it is a lot to have on your plate. Um, But I think uh, something that really worked well for me last year was starting with a distribution channel and figuring out the product later. So I started with a newsletter and, you know, the Product, quote unquote, as the community came down the road. After I understood uh, the the people who were there, and I think this is becoming more and more popular. There are more and more um, SaaS companies uh, and product companies who are buying media companies uh, as a way to reach uh, potential target uh, customers at scale. Um, And through a way that is just way more reliable than things like ads. Uh, Of course, you know, with SEO, there's always the risk of an algorithm update, um, but email is pretty reliable. And so you saw this uh, somewhat recently with uh, HubSpot acquiring the hustle. You know, there are other examples out there, but um, yeah, I would consider like if you have the time, so you're not necessarily just trying to ship right away and you want to build an asset that's going to help you no matter what. You know, starting with something like an email list, um, newsletter or whatever, uh, is a great way to begin if you can write something for, for that target user. Um, but yeah, I, I don't necessarily believe that you have to like have a big audience either to, there are tons of like super successful CEOs that have like zero Twitter followers. Like, you know, there is no like necessarily correlation with like personal audience and business success that you have to have one to have the other. Um, but figuring out distribution early on and testing it and finding something that is repeatable and scalable is definitely a mistake that I made. Um, and thankfully didn't make a second time, uh, when launching kind of like my, my second business.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think you, you mentioned earlier in the episode that y- you don't know that you might end up inspiring someone to do something. and yeah, I just want to share that I feel super inspired by your journey and all of your products. Uh, you can rest assured that you turned me into a little SEO monster, <laughs> an incubator. Uh, but yeah, I'm really happy that, you know, blogging for devs exists. To me, it's a huge opportunity to be around people that, you know, already have launched courses, they are already an authority in a subject and I can go in there and ask for some feedback or something. So yeah, just wanted to say, yeah, thanks for doing all that work. I'm getting lots of value from it. And I'm really happy to see all of your projects going well. And yeah, it's super it's super inspiring to me. So thanks a lot for talking to us today and sharing some personal things today. And I hope, yeah, you keep inspiring other people. So thank you a lot.
2: Well, thanks for having me, you guys. And it's great to have you in the community too. So glad you're there. And yeah, thanks for for the chat. It was great to talk to you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Monica, Uh, especially for blogging for Devs, like super inspiring for us. And it helped us a lot for the last couple of months. Especially with the podcast, like trying to figure out the distribution and trying to figure out what to talk about and how to approach subjects. So yeah, you're, you're an inspiration for all of us. So thank you so much.
2: (laughs) I'm glad it helps even though I'm, I don't know anything about podcasting, but if I ever start one, I will ask you for support. (laughs)